Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Follow our socials and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there. And now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends and repeat guest on And The Writer is Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans, including Christopher Cross, The Go-Go's, Run the Jewels, John Belly and John Ryan, Mozella, Julian Bonetta's Family Affair, Cara Diaguardi, Zara House, Future Cut, Sam Waters, Ruth Ann, Brian Morgan, and various other amazing songwriters. In fact, they have publishing deals with Keto, Robopop, Sofia Valdez, Charlie Brand, Tilly, and more. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's and Tilly and more. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, we have Songwriters added to the Album of the Year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website or DM them on Instagram or call 844-4-ALL-MUSIC. That's right. It's 844 844- for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's singer-songwriter, future superstar, is not just a poetic lyricist with an ear for hooks. Nope, she's a clever self-promoter with a unique perspective in a sea of cookie-cutter artists. Maybe it's more appropriate to say biscuit-cutter artists, eh? Anyway, she amassed a huge YouTube following before releasing her viral debut single at just 17 years old. Her innate gift for storytelling and diary entry-like songs has earned her celebrity fans such as Ed Sheeran, Phoebe Bridgers, and her idol, Taylor Swift. In fact, she is signed to Sir Ed's label, Gingerbread Man Records. She dropped her debut album, You Signed Up For This, in 2021 and is already on to the next collection of records. All the way from the United Kingdom, this writer is amazing. I know, because I've seen it firsthand. And the writer is Maisie Peters. Hello, thank you for having me. Hi, how are you? I am really good, how are you? I'm good, um... Okay, so uh, we've written together, so I've gotten to see uh, your mind work a little bit in person, um, and I feel like over the course of the interview, people will kind of hear how that thing works up there. But I, you know, you're on that first uh, on the first album. You you have a song on it uh, that refers to John Hughes and. Uh, 
you know, John Hughes is sort of before your time, but it's like right in the wheelhouse for my time. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it is my childhood. Every movie that was good was a John Hughes movie. Why would a girl from West Sussex write a song about John Hughes? Who in your family taught you about John Hughes? You know what? I remember watching Ferris Bueller as a kid. I remember watching it at my friend's house, actually. Um, and but I mean, I don't think at the time I necessarily knew it would make the impact it did. I, I watched it and I enjoyed it. And then I think you sort of... So it was in my... The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller were in my atmosphere. And I, I grew up really into pop culture. And even though I'm not necessarily the biggest watcher of films, I'm just interested in the, the almost the world around it. Um, and so it would have been in my, in my atmosphere. And then I wrote that song and I wrote it, um, when I was 17, I think. And it was with, uh, two different people. It was a guy called Henrik, uh, and a woman called Miranda Cooper who wrote like huge, big songs in the UK. It was part of a group called Xenomania and did like Girls Aloud, which I loved Girls Aloud growing up. That was my favorite thing in the world. And so we wrote the song and I think that, Honestly, people ask me this because they people find it surprising that I knew or who John Hughes was, and I can only say that I don't vividly remember how it got into the song or how the, how it was became part of the song. I I think it would have been down to me and Miranda, um, and I I just think it was in my I have a lot have a lot of things knocking around, and I think it must have just been like floating around, and I must have just grabbed it. I mean that you know all those movies were taken in my neighborhood growing up. So no the way. end of Breakfast Club, where like the hand is in the <sighs> air, that's my high school football field. And like the no. you know my my niece and nephew go to that high school where they film Breakfast Club, and where the where the car drives off and Ferris Bueller is the White House in the background was. Uh, my homecoming date's house, like that. <gasps> that all those movies were so my childhood that I felt like it was a bubble that um, I didn't know that I didn't know that it was special to be that close. And so you know, I listened to that album because we had written together, and hearing that was just it was nostalgic for me. And it's nice to listen to somebody who's not the same age as me feel just as nostalgic about something like that. So I think you have this ability to to grab details that are out in the ether and put it in your songs, almost like a novelist more than what I think of as a songwriter. And I guess going back again, even to the beginning, tell me about your life. Like, What is your childhood like? What is... West Sussex like what is East Sussex like what what are the Sussexes is to a bunch of people outside of London sure thing uh the Sussexes um are countryside I grew up um in a little town it's not it's not minuscule but it's is there's like a couple of buses um and some and some sheep and, and like one school and one shop and and one post office and one pet shop um and I grew up there uh, and I was a huge reader. Is really before I loved music. I think I loved books and I loved fiction. And I just was obsessed. I, I really remember being like from eight, probably like seven, eight, and I just would go through books, just go through them. And I would read my parents' books. I would read anything anyone gave to me. And my parents are uh, very cool and was sort of just let me read whatever, really. Like, we, we talk about it now, about some of the choice things I, I must have read back then. Um, but I just was uh, insatiable and I read every hour. And I would sort of, like, write a bit. I would try and write books, but I was, like, nine. And also I was so impatient. So I think I would get, like, a, a few pages in and I would and I would stop. Um, so I, that was, like, my a big core obsession. And I also loved music and my parents both really liked music. Um, but I wasn't like, I always said like I was not like a prodigal child. Like I was not singing the solos in the choir. I was not um, winning the talent show. Like I was, I was reading and I was like and singing a bit maybe, but not well. I was thoroughly uh, withhold that I was not singing well. Um, and then. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think I, I conjoined the two, the two of obsessions of like words and music met uh, when I discovered Love Story by Taylor Swift. And I would say that was the catalyst for the, com- the combination. And then... I became obsessed with writing songs. And that was like, I was going to say 12. And I was like, I was obsessed. But I was in this like little village and I would just go home and I would, from school and I would get my guitar and I would just write like not, like three songs. And then I'd write three more the next day. And they were nothing to like, they were just lies. I was just fictionalizing. I was like writing little books as songs and then nothing was happening to me because I was 12. But I was pretending all these things were happening. Did your parents play music? Uh, yes, they did. What did they, they play? What did they play? I think in the car, again, that's interesting. Like they, I grew up, me and my, I have a twin sister and we sort of were almost the DJs. I think my parents would, within reason sort of let us pick what we liked from what they were playing. So ABBA was huge, ABBA Gold, the CD, um, we listened to all the time. Uh, we listened to the first Lily Allen album. I was obsessed with that. Um, we listened to Plan B, The Defamation of Strickland Banks. Um, what else was there? Like Simon and Garfunkel was on, definitely. Uh, my dad loves Bruce Springsteen, so we would listen to that. Um, yeah, I would sort of all of those, all of those people are floating around. Uh, take That, <laughs> the Take That album. That was nice. big in my car. Well, having a twin, um, did she also do music? No, she did not. None of my family do music at all. I'm the only one. Um, and she, I tried to make her do music. I tried to make her be in a band with me for, as a, a like sort of 11, 12 year old. And she wasn't, she wasn't into it. I, I was so confused because I loved it so much and I didn't understand why she didn't also want to write songs with me every minute of the day. And, um, but she didn't. And so we did, a, we did a little bit together, but she, she was not interested. What is she into? And are the you know when you think of twins, you uh, if you're not one, you assume that they do everything together. So you know that seems to be the point where you guys choose to do different things. What what was her what is her passion? I mean, we're so different as people go. We're the most different two most different people you could meet. Um, She is. Uh, arguably like a lot more extroverted than me. Um, I think growing up, she was sort of had way more friends, was going to parties, was living her best teenage life. And I was definitely uh, not doing that as much. Um, And now she's, uh, she went to university, she got a degree in fashion and marketing and now she lives in London and she does marketing for a a big company and she kills it. Are you an introvert? Maybe, maybe a little bit. I definitely, I, I maybe I just think I, all the things I love, doing I you can do alone like reading and writing writing less so I then I guess I became someone that does a lot of co-writing later on in my like songwriting experience but for the first f- four years I was just on my own in my bedroom every day it's interesting that um, a lot of songwriters are introverts and obviously artists tend to be extroverts or they're forced to be extroverts at least for an hour at a time when they're on stage you know do you feel like an imposter when you're being the artist version of you no but i do think well, interesting what you just said cuz i think i'm a songwriter who became who was an artist because that's i had my songs that i wanted to play um and I didn't know any other way. Like I didn't, I no one in my family does music. I grew up in a small town. I didn't know, I didn't even know what an artist was. I didn't know what a label was. I just wrote songs and played them. Um, but I think that there's definitely, and I, and I love being an artist now and I can't imagine anyone else using the songs that I make and, I've, and they come hand in hand with me. Like I couldn't, I, I make them for me from my life, from my mouth. Um, but definitely I'm, it, I'm like not an, I was not a natural on stage. I think I was, I had to learn it. I had to really focus and like graft and, and learn how to perform. And I think if you look at videos from me five years ago and me now, it's just like a different person. And there's no, na- I think there's like no, for me at least, natural skill for me that. Whereas as a songwriter, I was, I sort of 
like figured it out much quicker and it was much more it came much more easier I think yeah it's it's weird when you said you can't imagine other people recording your songs and you know what what you try to do if you're a good co-writer in the room is is enable the artist to write a song or write a song with or for the artist that can't be pitchable otherwise it becomes really generic and yet you know there's something relatable enough to your songs that maybe there is an artist out there that would find themselves in your song, even if you're not necessarily like pitching the song. Have you had any artists want to cut any of your songs, or is that something that interests you in, in as a writer outside of being an artist? It definitely interests me. I, I would love to at some point in my career, I really see myself um, doing that for a while because I love being in the studio and I love writing and I and I've done uh you know I've written songs with and for other people um some of them are out and have done really cool things and I've like always really enjoyed that so I would love to do it at some point and I yeah I would never I've never had anybody um, I don't think I've ever had anybody want one of my songs like actively be like this person wants it right now there's been like you know whispers of this and that but not nothing imperative yeah I mean I think that you know, obviously, some of the people that you are attached to in the music industry have a history of writing their songs and other people cutting them and them being very successful. So I think that that we're we're knocking on that door soon enough. But one last question before going further into the the journey of being the artist you are. When you said, you know, at nine years old you tried to write, but you were nine years old as far as like a novel, you know. It, I don't know why I'm so curious about this, but I've and I've never talked to another artist like this. But it feels like there's some part part of you that's going to be writing books. Also, do you feel when I when I write short stories or I work on you know musicals or something, I have the ability when you write dialogue to use the appropriate word, even if it doesn't rhyme. Like there are mm-hmm. some things that there are some things in songwriting that are really difficult. That aren't as difficult when you're just allowed to use the correct word, and not mm-hmm. the correct word that sings well. If that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any aspirations to to write anything long form outside of songs? Definitely. I am really. I'm super interested in it. I read. I just read. I read a lot, and I'm really inspired by. I almost feel like. As a as a songwriter, I'm maybe even more so inspired by authors um, than I would be by music in a in a funny way. Although I'm really inspired by both, obviously. But I think I would say I think that the constraints that you're under in songwriting also somewhat help as well. Because as much as it's it's much as it's limiting to be like this word has to rhyme, it also gives you a box that you can tick and fill. And there's no and I like to tick a box. And um, there's no boxes to tick and fill in well different ones. Um, but I would love to write something longer form and I, I'm sort of actually it's been something I'm thinking about more recently and I've been reading a lot I read a book called Blue It's by Maggie Nelson and I've um, read I've read a lot of Joan Didion recently and it's definitely something I'm thinking about but I'm also trying to make another album so we'll see what happens yeah, exactly. first exactly yeah it's you know it's one of those things where if you're if you're on tour and it's hard to pick up a guitar maybe that's when you're dabbling in but I have such high expectations. I don't high know. Expectations I think for 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 what? Because for for for, uh, for books for the music. I mean, I have high expectations for all of it. But I think as a as someone who reads the amount that I do and that loves, and I read fiction. I don't really read nonfiction. Um, and I think that because of that, I would. To I don't think I could write a novel yet. Like in I couldn't I couldn't begin that. I think I'm too young and I need to learn more. Um, and I wouldn't want to do that until I felt sure there's. I am like a I'm a ready person to do that, but some form of of book and who in, in an essay style thing maybe or something different I can see myself doing in the nearer future. I like that. Um, it, you know, it's I was talking to an artist who has designed her career around her her first love, which is choreography, and then sort of like sparked the way she writes. Songs and I just you know it's like it seems so obvious that you're somebody who's well read if you just listen to any of your lyrics. Um, going going from you know uh, 
place we were made. You know, that's the first the first real single that people you know know you for. Um, do you feel like? Tell me about the experience of releasing that song, and then how you interpret that experience from where you are now. I think there was so much, and I'm so grateful for it now. There was so much like naivety in that experience. I was, um, I was, I had a manager. I had the same manager I've had since I was 15. Uh, it's called Bobby, and we're very close. And he was managing me, and he'd set me up with uh, a guy called Brad Ellis, who's a good friend of his and also a songwriter. And myself and Brad and a guy called Jez Ashurst, we'd all written that song together. And I'd been writing at this point. I'd been doing sessions for a year or so. But as it is when you first start how, out, how did you meet? How did you meet a manager before releasing a song? Um, through I had a YouTube channel and I put original music up every day. Not every day, every week. Um, and I would film it in my bedroom and I had a little microphone and I would just I just posted original music and I think he found me five, ten videos into that. Um, and when he he found you, he just contacted you and you're like, Yeah, I'll take a manager. Or were you well, yeah, looking for it? No, I wasn't looking for it. Um, I was, I was 15, I was at school and again, I had no music industry experience. I had no knowledge and, but this person was saying that they thought I was good and that they thought I could, you know, they'd be like, do, is this something you'd want to do? And I was like, I, yeah, I think so. But I also was really uh, surprising to nobody. I was very studious. Um, and I was very focused on my grades and on my exams and I was my whole time in school. I, I did the full thing and I was very, I was a massive nerd. So I did. I, so I started working with a manager, but I also was doing school. So I remember I told him like, "You can't." I was like, "I can't uh, talk to you for the next three weeks because I'm doing my exams." And I was sixteen, uh, and luckily he is still working with me to this day. So I didn't scare him off. But um, yeah, he was, and then he was my manager, and he still is. I think that that's you know that would be a reason to stick with a a writer, somebody who's really determined to finish a project. I mean, there's a great quote that says, "Geniuses finish things." And I think that that's like that's just somebody who has you know even if it's if it's class and it's a an assign whatever the assignment is whatever if it's the an album or if it's something is you know less significant like I, I an exam you know all those things really end up affecting your personality if you don't finish things so I I could see that being enticing where did the rest of your high school did the rest of your friends were they all aware of your YouTube channel and the success you were having releasing stuff were you were you becoming popular if you will or were people like oh that's just Maisie doing what she does I think the second I, I was at a small school it was very much small town um but I was kind of I don't know. It was, I mean, I released Place We Made in my last year of school. Um, so I was somewhat on the radar. I was releasing things. But it, I, it just feels like a different time. And it was 2017, so it, it in many ways wasn't. But it, there, you, there was, you know, I was on Instagram, I guess, but everyone was on Instagram. And I, and, but there was no TikTok and there was no sort of... The, the, what it looks like to be an artist today, I think, looked quite different back then. So I was just a normal, I was just normal. I just had music that came out and I guess did really well for for the context of which it was. But also I think everyone was used to me being the girl that like sang in assemblies and I was a busker. So people, I was like, people would see me at school busking from school. So yeah, I think people were just kind of used to it and not that interested, Wait, which is nice. You you were a busker in school or you were doing that in town? No, I was doing that in town and then people from school, I guess, would like see Got me. it. It's really funny. Did people ever throw change in your, you know, it's like, oh my God, hi. And then they're like, or they like, <laughs> probably. I think I blocked it out for mental, for mental health. How crazy that 2017 really isn't very long ago. No. And everyone thinks the music industry is the way it is. That, like, that, they all think that this snapshot of the way the music industry is is the way it is and will always be. They have such a difficult time recognizing that none of it's precedential. It's mm. all, it's all just a moment. And it, it, it all, it's all, it, it doesn't all just flourish forever and ever. It, you know, if, if it did, we'd still have MySpace. If it did, we'd still have CDs. If it did, we'd have tapes. You know, keep going all the way back. We'd have shellac records or wax cylinders. And we don't, it, at the time, 
everyone always felt like, oh, this is how, this is what you need to do to be successful. You need to sell yourself like this. You need to write songs like this because this is what everyone's looking for right now. And I feel like that's when record labels and and fans can consume music now however they want. But I guarantee in five years from now, there will be other technology and other ways of consumption that will not be will be as vastly different as 2017 is to now. Yeah. It's course. just the way it is. And yet everyone is like, oh, well, I should write music. Or labels are like, I want you to do things that would work on TikTok. And you're like, well, okay, that that's fine, but that's still, it's it's a moment. And it also is really hard to create viral content purposefully. Otherwise, we'd all do it all the time, and we'd all be really oh, good at it. Do you but get I, a lot of pressure being somebody who who broke before TikTok, you know, or was discovered before TikTok? Do you get a lot of pressure from, you know, the machine to create content that maybe isn't as nuanced as you know? A train into Waterloo, as our song yeah. had as a lyric. You know, like, do you feel like there's pressure to satisfy? Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website or DM them on Instagram or call 844-4-ALL-MUSIC. That's right. It's 844 844- for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends and repeat guest on And The Writer is Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans. That's the kind of person Evan is in real life, and that's the kind of person that runs Seeker. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year Because of him, we have songwriters added to the album of the year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. You know that. It's funny, like it's the the never-ending question. And I think that I, for me, because I didn't come from TikTok, which, or from Really, I mean, I came from YouTube, maybe, but it's, which I think was a a real blessing because it meant that I, I, I got, I became an artist and I was doing music and I was, I didn't get, it didn't sort of fall into me. Like it didn't, this, the opportunity, it didn't fall into my lap, which is what happens sometimes with people nowadays is that you make one video and it's, and it's huge and, and these things happen to you. I feel like it happened because of me. I was, I was actively sort of, wanting it and and looking to be this and then I and then I was um but I think that then having to be someone who discovered it when they were already doing things you know TikTok was a year ago two years ago for me it was it's less of there's there was a I mean of course there's an external pressure of of there always is and sometimes you have people going this would be great if this worked on TikTok but then my answer is that well you know as as long as we've been making music someone's been asking artists to make music for like commercial benefits someone's gone this would be great if it worked on radio this would be great if it worked on mtv so it's it's just a continuation of the same thing 
And then I found, for me, it was less other people, other people were asking me to, you know, get on these, this app and figure it out. But also, I'm ambitious and I'm, and I want to, I wanted a long and sustainable career. And I, and I saw that there were opportunities and there were ways of which to, if you're, if there's going to be this thing that exists, then I'm like, well, I want to do it and I want to do it well and I want to do it right for me. So I became sort of separately interested and I was like, how do I do this and, and feel happy and, and not sort of, uh, soulless whilst doing it because there has to be a way. And I feel like that's, that's been like the last year and a half year of my life. It's like figuring that out of how to, how to take this thing and make it work. And for me in a way that I like really enjoy. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be working for you, you know, but even before that, it's like from, from the outset, you know, let's go back to 2017. I know we jumping forward, back, forward, back, but you know, you, you release a couple songs and, and, you know, you have a manager, but a lot of artists are releasing songs that are viral-ish or viral songs, but don't necessarily get record deals. And then you end up signing to, you know, maybe the best record company in the UK. Um, how did you understand the gravity of getting a record deal from Atlantic Records in the UK? Did it? Did it like? Was it one of those things where it's like, hey, Atlantic Records wants to sign you? Like, oh my god, Atlantic Records! Like, or was it like, okay, what's that? I mean, because I don't think at that yeah. age I understood how significant names like Atlantic Records were. No, I don't know if I did either. I didn't. Again, like I really didn't come from a, a place where that was a thing. And I was, I was seventeen. I was sixteen when I was like meeting these like lots of different people from lots of different labels and. I, I was lucky again, I have a really great manager, so I was I was not sort of like alone fending for myself. But I th- I think I was a I was aware that it was a it was a big deal and I was sort of su- surprised somewhat that they all wanted to meet me, but I don't think I was I don't think I would have understood the gravity, no. And like I'm glad for it. I'm so glad for so much like naivety that was the whole the beginning of my journey. Cause it makes you so invincible. Because you're so, I was so naive to like comparison and and opportunity and what something meant versus what something else meant and what this artist is doing and that I'm not doing. I just was so unaware because I was so clueless that I was like, this is so cool. I've I'm doing a session. This is so cool. I've um, I'm playing to fifty people in a room and they all came to see me. This is so cool. I'm putting on a a show and it's in a pub that I know. Like I had just. And if I was older, that would be gone because you you know so much. But at that point in my life, I was just everything was cool, which is amazing. Yeah, maybe the coolest thing about being successful at and getting a record deal at you know eighteen years old, give or take, is that your peers are also in a place where they're discovering music. If you if you got a record deal at 35 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old, like those people, they stopped getting new music 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. versus like the music that you're crafting is for the is for you but is being consumed by people who are within 5 years of your age younger and older you know like the the bulk of it i mean obviously you have fans that are much younger and fans that are much older but the idea of being able to be immersed in a um like within the generation and being kind of in that in that culture it's it is the zeitgeist and you know yeah. and i think that showed that like the first song once you signed that deal was worst of you which was obviously a, a really big success did you were, did you get a chance to hear that song? It, it's listening to music is is often a very solitary experience. People are listening with headphones on, but did you get a chance to listen to it outside? You know, when did you first hear it outside of you know you playing it for someone? Because that for sure you started hearing it places. I don't know. It's a good question. In a way, that song's it's that song is so funny because it was. It's like a fun fact about the song is that actually that John Hughes movie was meant to come out instead of that song, but we couldn't get it right and the production was wrong and it was too big and it sounded too like bombastic and it was it just wasn't right. So 
Johnny's movie got put on hold. And then we were like, okay, let's go with this other song. And I was in, I remember saying to my manager in a Spanish, in the Spanish classroom in my school, I was like, we can put out Worst of You, but like, I just want you to know that I don't think it's, I, it's just, it's not as good as John Hughes' movie. And as long as we're all like on board with that, as long as we all are aware, then like, that's fine. It's like a placeholder, uh, which is famous last words, classic. And then that song sort of became this, it's like one of my big, my biggest songs. And it's this like really, was really important in getting to where I am today. But it, it also was in a way like, one of it's like a it was an internet song it actually blew up later on not when it was released but like a few months later because of like instagram edits people were making where they put that song in the background and so this was before tiktok but it was it, i guess it kind of did what tiktok does now um so because of that it's like this it was this big sort of growing monster but i didn't it wasn't on the radio it wasn't in i would hear it in shops maybe sometimes but it's it was just like the it was almost the beginning of that wave of like music managing to be so big online and yet like you can ask your mom and she has no idea what you're talking about that's really funny I, I it also it's probably humbling to be wrong at that level you know to be Absolutely. so wrong and it does it make you trust your team differently when you are so wrong Yes, it does. And it makes you, well, it's made me realize over the years that this is why I, it's, there's almost like a sort of fun unknowing in, in writing music I have these days where I'm like, I don't know anything. And, it, and neither really does anybody else, because if we all knew everything, we'd all make number one records all the time. So if that being said, and if it's so, I feel like nowadays more than ever, if it's so unknowable of what's going to be massive and what's not, then like, why, why try, like, why try to write that number one song as opposed to why not just try and make something good? And I, I genuinely, and that's not me mm. aiming for a lower bar, that's me saying, if I don't know, if I can admit that I don't know so much about what makes something take off the way it does, other than I think it has to sound real and you have to believe that what's being said is real and who's saying it means it, if that's what I think is like the basic criteria, then let's, it's, there's so much fun in that. There's so much freedom is what I found. What is a hit? I think there's different types, I guess. But if you're talking like, it has to be like culture. It has to feel feel part of culture. It's like, has to feel part of that time of everybody's life. You know, everyone jokes about song of the summer, but that's that's the thing. It's like, what was the song that everyone heard? Releasing an EP like um, Dress Too Nice for a Jacket, um, you know, that's sort of, that's the first collection of records that comes out on a major, did you have any expectations releasing the first anything like that? No, <laughs> no, I had no. Again, I was I was eighteen, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe eighteen, and I was. Um, I'd never put together a project. I'd I'd never released a, anything larger than a song, and I was I I made that EP over the course of probably like six, eight months. And it was just a collection of all my favorite things that I'd done in those six or eight months. And I, and again, I, I think, I really do like look back on a lot of the things I did and think that I'm so, I'm so proud of them and I'm so pleased that past me with the lack of knowledge that she did, that she had managed to make these things that I think actually have aged really well and I'm really proud of still. The perspective you have now is, is so, um, it's so mature. It's something that is so hard to allow younger self to make mistakes, to be, and then also to applaud the successes of younger self and to not live yes. around it. You know, I mean, it's just a moment and then you can take her for who she was at that time and, and move on. Um, that obviously led to more music coming out. Uh, you know, you have songs that are featured on a bunch of TV shows. You know, most importantly, Love Island, which I think starts to like. You know, it's like right it's got to feel like okay. You know, it's yeah, right of passage, exactly. But there's sort of a different thing once you start really touring and start playing for like a lot of people. You going from saying that oh yeah, at first it was like oh my god, I'm playing for 50 people, when they all came to see me is is. Awesome. When you think about one human talking to fifty people, 
Like that's incredible. 50, 50 humans coming to see one person. And there aren't a lot of things in your life that you can have a 50 times multiple like that, that has yeah. that kind of significance. And then you go on tour with Niles, sort of the first like major tour, I think. And, you know, you go on these kinds of tours where you are in front of, Tens of thousands of people. It's not natural. It's so so unnatural. Going out on stage for a hundred people is terrifying. Going out on stage for tens of thousands is is like numbing in a different way. At least that was my yeah. experience. How was your experience going from? Wow, 50 people. And throughout all these things, I'm sure you're playing for a few hundred here, a few hundred there, maybe a thousand there, a thousand there. What's what's it like when you go into a sea of humans? A sea of humans. So I, the, the, to be honest, the first huge experience I had of that was more recently because the, so I was meant to do this Nile tour and I was meant to do a Lauf tour, but they both got canceled because of COVID. So they never actually happened. I just thought they were going to. And then Oh, I see. Um, classic, a classic example. So then I, I was the first sort of the tours I did when I came back from COVID. We did um, a tour of America in uh, in March, and then I, which was my tour, and then I went on uh, Ed's tour for like six months, and that was to like tens of thousands of people every night, and that was really. Yeah, it's like a diff. It's a different thing. It's actually just a, a wholly different beast than like an, a show in a to five hundred or fifty or a thousand people because it's there's so many people that you're. It's almost like your mission is so different. Like I, I, it's going to be interesting going back to playing the, my shows now in November because I've spent the last X amount of months, six months, with this like. It's almost like you you go in. It's like the it's like the first day of of work every day in this sort of weird way where it's like, oh, I, I'm going to make a good impression, and I have an hour to make a good impression. It's like a job interview to fifty thousand people, and it's like I'm gonna. These people don't know me, but they are here, and they do sort of have to listen, unless they really don't have to listen, in which case they will just start talking and turn around. But I do have like a certain amount of time to make them, and then yeah, it, but it's so it's sort of like. It, and when it's the scale of that, it's almost like you're, 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 they're there and they're not. It's so many people that you can't even grasp it. I've, it's like way less scary than fifty people. How does that change the way you write, or does it not? You know, performing in front of that many people, then then it's like, doesn't some of the nuance in the the verse lyrics start to seem like it goes over their head? Or is it sort of like that's good, then that keeps it grounded, and you know how do you get that melody in that chorus that fifty thousand people who have their backs turned to you turn around and are like, "Oh yeah, I could sing that song you you see what nuance works and what doesn't, and some does brilliantly, and you see it you see it captivate people and you see people pay attention like what um I just think of specific lyrics, I think of. Um, in John Hughes' movie, I sing, um, think I built it up too tall and knew I should have worn my Adidas. And I always see people, I don't know what it is about that line. It's just like the word Adidas just like prompts, prompts something. People look. Um, and, and I think there's, when you manage to get something like that, which is simultaneously personal and universal at the same time, where everyone can know what that means, it works brilliantly. And I, but I also think it's been like going on tour with Ed and watching him play every night and, and sell out these rooms of like 50, 100,000 people is, has been really inspiring and really made, has made me think a lot about the way I write and what I want my songs to do and, and, and how many people I want them to reach and like the, and how something, I'm, I'm a words person, right? Like I come from words and I want words and I like words. And if I could, I would write, I, I used to think I would write songs with, uh, five different choruses, and I think it's watching Ed has has made me realize the like actual total genius of simplicity, and of and of um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like con- conciseness. 
of like, and that's what I've become like so deep obsessed with is now like how to how to say what I want in the most concise way possible, whilst also keeping the story and keeping the detail and, and keeping people thinking that this song could have only been made by me for them. Yeah, totally. You know, but again, to go back one step. One of the things that you writing for something like trying or something mm-hmm. where you know we watched that series on on Apple Plus did it, um, you know again that's almost closer. And did you see the episodes before writing, or no. was it something where it was just sorry to jump back after talking about touring, but like that was oh, something that felt like a different kind of writing and in the spirit of when you perform shows with you know Ed, you have to you see the quality the quality of simple and simplicity. And then you know when you're writing for something like television, how does that change how you write? It was so different. It was with trying, I had seen season one and I and I got given the scripts for season two. And I went through, or I read all the scripts and I made notes on every episode, on the general theme, on details, on on uh, clothes and, and sentences and, and feelings and places that were mentioned in the episode. And then I essentially ended up with this sort of Google Doc of of, a bl- of blueprints of each episode, blueprints of songs. It's like, this is my, my outline. Um, and then I spent not even that long, it was like a few months really, just sort of writing these songs and I was I did it with a, a producer and a great friend of mine called Joe Rubel and we just sent things back and forth. It was over lockdown. I was making my album at the same time, so I did I did both at once. And um it was it was such a different experience because all of that music I will say was was written entirely for it was in it's written entirely for um for listening. It's for not written to be played. Yeah. Oh, it's not written right. to be toured or to be um yeah, to, to be performed, to me, it was written to be heard and to be listened to. So that is where I had the most fun and the most almost sort of weird freedom in making these really intricate songs with really intricate lines and and melodies and, and lyrics that went and overlapped with each other and referenced each other. And it was very much like an audio experience, if that makes sense. Sure. Right after, um, you know... That was announced. It was that's when you signed to Ed Sheeran's mm-hmm. label. Um, I imagine, you know, one. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth when I ask. You know, what it's like to have you know that kind of artist take that kind of interest, especially considering who the artist was who opened up his doors to Ed. You know, it's like there's, you know, some of these big names that kind of mentor the next generation of artists. Um, one, what was that like? And two, do you feel like, is it is that a heavy name to be attached to? No, yeah. So I, I've obviously, I, I'm English, so I'm a fan of Ed Sheeran. We, I grew up with, with his music and I was, I learned Lego House on guitar and I, listened to plus and then I listened to multiply and I I was like every other English teenager of my age like we we all lo- loved him and it was it was what we were raised on practically it's like a teenager um and then sort of hearing that he was interested in working with me and and that first the first time we met and we wrote together was was super surreal because it's it's someone you've grown up with I, I could sing you his whole first album back at you like at you and then I was meeting that person and, and I was writing with him and I was and we were we were getting to know each other, and, and we were, and then we were working together, and, and it sort of went one thing to another. And I think that the, I mean everybody says this if you've met him, then everybody says the same thing, which is that there's like not a more down to earth person on the earth, like not even celebrity, just like actual human being. And there's there's I'd say it all the time, but there is no one like kinder and more gracious and more down to earth and than Ed. And so it's been it's been so so fun and so wonderful and and to be attached to somebody like that because he's so influential and he's done so many amazing things but you won't meet a person who has a bad word to say really um and so it's there's sort of it it refutes the pressure because there's there is no there's no pressure that comes with it really he's just someone who's been such a good and and 
amazing and important force like in my life as a as a creative and as a and as a friend as a person someone who's done everything and knows everyone and can tell you everything about any of it in a way i feel like we're having this conversation like 10 years early where I- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm so curious what happens after, you know, every time you release something, it already seems like you gain such a perspective on your own life. But what what from where you're sitting right now is the goal? I have a lot of have a lot of goals. Um, I wanna you you could argue to so it doesn't get it doesn't get box ticky. It's like the goal is to still be doing this in like ten twenty years time. I want to be still making music, and I want to still be touring it, and I want to still feel as as passionate as I do today. And I want a career that spans like decades. And to have people that come with me through that and people that join later, but people that, that stay and the people that heard my music for the first time when they were 14, I want them to still want to hear it when they're 35. So that's the, that's the long-term goal. And then I, there's, there's small, you know, there's more obvious immediate ones. I want to headline festivals and I want to write books and I, and I want to, um, make I want to be in bands I want to work with other people and I want to do different projects as well as my own but that's the the main one is to still is to still feel the way I do and and be doing this in however many years you want to be in bands yeah like what like like bands I feel like that was a that's a real thing we should bring back is like the super group like there's artists that I love and that I think like that be that would be so cool if we could just all be in, in bands I'd like to like you know, join up with someone. You've seen like Phoebe Bridges do it with Better Oblivion Community and I think it was so great. And I've got lots of friends where we all say like, oh, in a couple of years, band. Do you know, it, there's a, a band in in uh, in the country world called The Highway Women? Yes. And, you know, it's like, in the Phoebe Bridges pro- project, obviously. Um, one of the cool things that's happened in the last five years, in my opinion, is that most of the innovation in alternative rock has come from women. Most yeah. of the innovation in countries come from women. You know, it's like and, and to put to be a leader in that community and putting together sort of a supergroup, whatever that may be, is is absolutely something I condone and think you should I would uh, love to you should perceive. Are there are artists that you're speaking to about it? Um, there are. There are songwriters. There are producers. There are lots of there are lots of people. But I mean, it's it's pipe dreams right now. But I I can see us, I can see us doing it at some point. There's just so many people that I love and that I I think, um, and that I and that I work with still. And I and I say you know, let's let's do it in a few years. But I've got things to do before then. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you get there, let me know. I'll wanna, let you know. I want to. I want to hang out and be the runner in the studio, and maybe you could be the runner. That feels right. That's really interesting. That just the idea of of you said you want to be able to create music. You still want to tour, and you know where you started from of writing songs alone at home and posting videos of you performing alone, and then going from that to performing for fifty thousand people in a pretty relatively short amount of time. Yes. It's just, it's manic. It's it awesome. It it's is like I agree. all of the like awesome and like the lyric, like the actual word, like awesome. Yeah, like it's you awesome. cannot. 
as awesome like mountains. Yes, it's awesome. Like, it is exactly no awesome heat. like mountains, awesome like sea. No, it's it's unbelievable, and it's it's yeah something that I'm like can't you don't really wrap your head around, but. I think music, half of music is is playing it for people, so I I I feel strongly about the fact that I still want to do it in some form forever. All right, we're going to go to the next segment, which is five for five. I'm going to list five things, and you just tell me what comes off the top of your head. So okay. we're going to start with Taylor Swift. I just say what came to the, comes to the top of my head. Sure. Um, Taylor Swift, genius. I think Taylor Swift is she's like the the, a pivotal figure in my life, um, and her music. Does she know that? Does she know that? I I hope so. I don't know, but I I hope she does. I say it enough on the internet. Um, I but I would not make music if I hadn't heard Taylor Swift, and I and I and if I did, it wouldn't be the music I make today. Your manager. Oh, family. My manager is is family to me, and I mean. His, I used to live with him and his wife in London. I would go up and stay with them, and they would. I would sleep on their sofa bed, and, and Emma, his wife, would make me eggs, and it was like the most family of all. Ed Sheeran. I can't say family again. I'm thinking. I'm picking a new word. Ed Sheeran. Uh, in, influ, influential on my life. I think on music. I think on songwriting. Uh, and yeah, quite literally on my life. I mean, he takes me on tour. Thank you, Ed Sheeran. For that one, um, but also as a musician and as as a person, I've learned the most probably. I've, I've learned from anyone from Ed. Yeah, it's like the word influencer now has yeah. a different meaning. <laughs> different it meaning. has a different meaning. A different meaning, but but there's probably no more appropriate kind of word for a you know it's, it's a men- to describe yeah. a mentor's influence on a protege. Other than the word influenced, so I think that makes sense. Um, number four would be, and this is sort of a two, or it would be your your parents. They're so supportive. They're so, and they're so cool. They're so happy that as lo- they're happy that I'm happy as long as I'm happy. Um, and they they love music and and they're really proud. I think, but also they've always let me go and do my own thing. I mean, I like half moved to London when I was um, say 17, 18, and I was running around and doing God knows what, and they just let me go. So that's what I would say. The, they are brave. They're they very are brave. brave parents. <laughs> uh, finally, Ellen, your sister. Oh, um, Ellen is an experience. The Ellen Peters experience uh, important to go through in your life. No, she's she's also the best. I'm lucky. I always say to people who haven't met her, I'm like, oh, you're gonna like just wait. Like I'm always like, she's sort of the better one. She's way more fun, um, and she's <laughs> she's so great and she's so funny. And I would just sort of bring her everywhere. She's she's so funny to throw into a room. It's like it's like throwing sort of a wild animal. Just see what happens. Well, thank you for for doing the podcast. And I know. Uh, you know, again, this is one of those that we'll be doing every so often, and we'll catch up and find out what's happening. You know, but um, thank you for doing it. I I have a very short playlist of songs that I love that I I've worked on with artists uh, that didn't come out for the rest of the world to hear. But I always love the song that we did, and I think because it's it's not necessarily. Um, usually in sessions, I'm. I feel like I'm carrying a lot of the melody and lyric weight. I have to go in. And most artists don't necessarily know the direction that they want to. They don't have a a clear vision of who they are as an artist. And you go into a world in your head very quickly. That in that in the vein of Bruce Springsteen or in the vein of some of these. Um, you know, authors that you speak about that the level of detail it seems so natural for you to dive into, and it's just so enjoyable to listen because that kind of song takes me to a place, and it, it's a singable chorus, but it takes me to a place, and to be in a place other than in a studio in West Hollywood, 
you know, and to be to be in a place that's eight thousand miles away and know exactly what that looks like. Yeah, you know, is like it, it. It takes a a fiction writer to bring us there, and so that was my introduction to your world. And I just am appreciative that I've been able to go there with you at least for that time, because then then every time I listen to anything else you write. I understand where that's coming from, yeah. so I appreciate thank you, you I, and thank you for. It means a lot, for doing and it means thank you for having me. This is a this is an honor. I'm so honored to be on, and I I'm so honored to, to talk to you. So thank you so much. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan signing off.